Do not take your journey lightly. It will tolerate none of your foolery. Um, how will we know where to start? Trust in the mask. Let it be your guide. Hello, and welcome to the Intermillennium Media Project, your source of media from various centuries and misuse of child recklessness. <laughs> I'm Ian Porter. And I'm Matthew Porter. He's my dad, I'm his son, and I've taken over the podcast once again. A millennial strikes back. A millennial strikes back. I kind of appreciate that. That makes me an empire. Uh, <laughs> but it's because we've done a lot of interesting discussions recently. We've talked about stop motion animation when it came to the wonders of Harryhausen Month. And before that, we had a month that included stories of tiny people adventuring in wild locations. And I realized there was a thing that clicked both of those for me. And when I say clicked, I mean that's the noise the plastic parts make when you build the kit. So you're using this to connect Fantastic Voyage with Ray Harryhausen? Yes, and oh. I can explain why. <laughs> I look forward to that. Because this gave me a good chance to get to talk, to, uh, talk about a, a franchise that meant a lot to me. And I didn't realize how much it meant until later in my life. And that was Bionicle. Bionicle from the Lego group started in 2001. The brand Bionicle within Lego is, was a set of constructible action figures based on the Lego Technique sub-brand. So this is a sub-brand of a sub-brand going on. But it was this odd mix of mechanized heroes that you could build, and they had this defenders of nature, but they look like robots thing going on. It was kind of a little bit Transformers, a little bit Captain Planet. Yes. And I loved these. I, they, were, they came in these canisters, and they had this amazing opening them up and constructing this figurine and then you can put him back in the canister and i was also a kid getting like the lego magazine which came with the comic books so there was this story element going on and it was just amazing and for any of the people who have listened to the patreon this is one of the places where my connection of using lego as a medium for breaking down if you can tell a story within something started because bionicle presented story first and these toys as part of it and that was a huge aspect of it for me and learning more about it the reason why these are connected is that the bionicle story is weird and wild there are multi-hour long youtube videos now from other millennials and younger explaining it to you but it all breaks down into they're like blood cells this is like following the white blood cells inside of a giant robot as they fix the disease that put him unconscious. 
So the world, I guess this is a spoiler for Bionicle. It, it is, heads up. But... The world in which the Bionicle adventures take place and in which the Bionicle characters live is the inside of a giant organism? Yes. The name is Biological Chronicle. <laughs> Bionicle. That's the whole setup. It's, 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 it's what it sells at work, the anime, but for a giant robot. It's like sells at work meets Gundam in the most beautiful way. Later, later products had them like going into the stomach and going to the city that is the brain. And we were apparently like on the heart to begin with. It's a whole thing. That is pretty wild. It's kind of wild. But this, this mix of characters who have these like gears and this mechanized aspect, but they're doing these, like they're defending a tribe and they're collecting masks with magical power thing. It's this interesting mix of different aesthetics in a very unique packaging. And then the canisters and such were honestly unique packaging. I've got sets of Bionicle still in full condition downstairs in storage somewhere. And my connection or the way I tend to think of Bionicle and relate to it is that as a dad, this is the first thing that I recall being like completely your thing. And I was happy. I would sit down and watch some of the movies with you, although I haven't seen all of them. I would listen to you tell me anything you wanted to tell me and talk about Bionicle. But I kind of looked at it from that distance and said, this is Ian's thing. I am so glad he has it and enjoys it. But I am not going to get lost in there. Oh, yeah. I, I don't have the time or the patience. And, you know, I would get lost if I tried. Absolutely. That is one of those things. I feel like if I if I drag you too deep into this lore, I think it would click and I would lose you to it. <laughs> it is the it has all of the weird like alien esoteric. Oh, this thing is actually that thing, but moved through time and reforged into that kind of wonder that so many of these other properties you've shown me that had impact on you. It's in there for me. And so this is a fun, like, like I, I, I wish for you to peer down the rabbit hole with me, but careful not to yeah. fall. And I realize as I was saying that, it sounds as if I'm setting up a joke like Patton Oswalt's joke about uh, My Little Pony, <laughs> which is great. But really, I'm not. It's all I know of Bionicle is what you have chosen to show me or tell me. And, and I don't even know much. I am, I am a tiny fan. I am a. I got like maybe three scholastic books and like the first three waves of toys, but they went for a long time. And there's, there's people who fe followed it to the end, got mad at the new thing that came after, then celebrated when it was tried to reboot, then criticized the reboot and went on. Well, you know, I have to admit there is some, one other thing that I am aware of about Bionicle. Yes. Which I didn't learn from you. I learned from reading law journals. <laughs> and this, I don't want to dive too deeply into this, but there was some controversy around Bionicle because it uses terminology and imagery from, and I'm, my pronunciations are going to be terrible, from Maori cultures, yeah. various Pacific islands. And there was a lawyer who brought, tried to bring a lawsuit against the Lego company 
or this appropriation of these cultural elements. And yeah, I, I, so I came across that in keeping track of strange and interesting intellectual property uh, matters. I never understood how there was anything actionable about anything using a lot of references to a culture. But that said, it essentially, it was, I, it was, I don't believe there was any kind of formal settlement, but Lego decided after that came up, they were no longer going to use actual terms from these actual languages. You still see a lot of the imagery, but they didn't lift things directly from native New Zealand cultures and, and languages. Yeah. When I say I have original packaging downstairs, that's that's definitely a thing. Characters later on have different names than they did on that on those boxes and oh, packages, I think. Oh, they actually renamed them. I didn't realize They actually that. renamed. I believe in the stories, after a certain bad guy gets defeated partially, everyone regains a piece of their memory and remembers their actual names, not these ones we've been using. <laughs> oh. And so everyone got a little bit right. of a... A little bit of a fix there. I'm suddenly remembering my non-culturally appropriative name. Exactly. So convenient. Uh, but it's interesting because being a fan of Lego myself, Bionicle is also important because started in 2001, but in 2003, Bionicle was one of the only things keeping Lego from going bankrupt. Really? They had a hard time transitioning into a new era of toys. And things like techniques for older users weren't enough? Well, not when you're competing with rising video games ah. and the internet. Bionicle almost got trounced by Neopets, or Lego <laughs> in general. That sort of thing is what we're looking at here. I see. But Bionicle was just unique enough that they were able to hold on. And Lego then turned around and found new ways to integrate some of this new computer technology stuff going on into their brand, into their markets, and survived past then into being even more massive today than they've ever been. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways they did so is by leaning into the stories they were starting to create to create property-based film and movie and supplements. So this predates their licensed sets? It shows that you can do a tie-in like that? Kind of. Star Wars had already existed but they had to pay a lot of money ah. to get Star Wars. So they started to try to work on, we're not just going to give you spaceships. We'll give you spaceships with a spaceship's story. Because the story helps sell the spaceship. The spaceship helps promote the story. And we don't have to pay anyone but our own writers for that story and that synergy. I see. So... You know, and it lets them control the pace. You're not waiting on the next movie release. You can decide we'll have another story element with another bad guy with their own figure set next year. It helps them a lot. But when they started to do their own stories and such, they started trying to make animated movies. And that's why I showed you for the podcast. Bionicle, the first movie, The Mask of Light. Which is a wild other thing because I have to apologize to you, Dad. Yeah. I dropped you into a movie without showing you what I really should call the first in the series. Because the entire movie you just watched is the sequel to a point and click adventure game from Lego.com. 
if you had no clue as to why you thought any of these you were supposed to know who anyone was or why anyone was important that's because there's a flash game that is no longer available i can't even show you i was gonna say there are things about this where they they do what they can to sometimes awkwardly tell you the name of the character and the brief description of what kind of archetype this character is or your taco what what is his name taku taku uh and you're the chronicler and you will do dangerous things for a scoop or uh, to, to find something new and yet as much as they tried to do that the whole story seemed to just assume this massive knowledge of these characters and this setting and this style and this environment i can't imagine anybody i i followed most of this partly because i knew some bionicle stuff from you i can't imagine anybody just sitting down to watch this movie and not being completely lost absolutely this is this is like throwing you into uh I didn't even throw you into the Avengers. I like threw you into the second Captain America movie 30 <laughs> minutes into the film and yeah. said, we're watching this. It's so they made a movie more or less assuming that everybody who watched it will have played this flash game. Right. Cause it, it, I don't believe this ever went made it to theaters. I'm pretty sure you had to buy the DVD at like target or a Lego store. That sounds right. So this was a direct DVD movie. Following up on the story of the Flash games, ah. which itself was a parallel to the story to the comic books, which followed multiple years worth of packaged uh, toys. <laughs> so if any of this didn't make sense, you're forgiven. I kind of tricked you. I feel a little better about having to pause a few times as we watched this to ask you, now, who is that? Yeah. And what what is the thing he's carrying, and why did the other guy give it to him? Absolutely. But this movie gave me an opportunity to talk about this franchise and how it is just a... I can't think of another franchise that will go from, like, overdramatic island theme to literally having, like a Lincoln Park song as action figures kick down a chain link fence <laughs> literally just five seasons later. Wow. Yeah. It, they had a wild time on this franchise. How many of these did they make? Movies? I think they only made three movies. Toy seasons, they went from 2001 to 2010. So they had a nine-year story. For the original toys. So they were releasing these toys and developing their backstory like a TV series. Absolutely. It's like every every year you get six either new versions or brand new heroes. You probably get six bad guy figures and a couple of supplemental figures of either the really, really strong bad guy or maybe the really, really strong extra good guy who can help defeat him. And we bounce back and forth. And we go from like, hi, here's our heroes. Here's our better heroes. Here's our heroes corrupted with horrible poison and turned into monstrosities. Here's our heroes thrown into gladiatorial combat. And they've got all this story going back and forth because every single one of those characters is going to have a narrative that you can find in multiple places 
is going to have an explanation for every single thing they've got and they can do somewhere. Now, that is fascinating because I'm always interested in new ways of telling stories, some new medium oh, for, yeah. for, for narrative. And the idea of developing and releasing toys, not the toys as tie-ins to some narrative that's in a, a traditional narrative format, like a TV show or a movie or a comic book, but the toy release itself being the mechanism for unveiling the story. That is interesting. And it's interesting also because you look at this, the story itself is about the toys. And every time you put together a new set, there's questions you'll have. Oh, what's this thing I'm putting here? The stories might answer that. The stories also directly make sure you know that these are creatures. You're building them, but they don't act the way they act in the toy on screen. It's wild to see modern Lego that kind of hugs its plasticiness and loves that. Early Bionicle was so desperate to remind you that these were squishy, fleshy creatures in a wild way. There's things in this movie we watched where it's like, yeah, I can see the armor piece I put onto the figurine. Why did you animate the connective tissue <laughs> between its armor and itself? Because it's a part of it. It's just unnerving in the yeah. right way. They're trying to like <laughs> distance themselves from the toy nature so that the story can be bigger. And yet they they want to sell toys and they and and they are they know they're going to make more more money selling toys than selling this movie. So they want to keep that connection. If you liked the movie, they want you to go out and buy toys. If you bought some of the toys, they want you to see the movie and have that inspire you to buy more toys. So they can't make them too different. They can, yeah. And I could see that what you see, I could imagine what you see in the movies informing or having an influence on how you play with the toys and how you think about the toys when you're playing with them. Absolutely. And yeah, there, there's something about presenting the toys for a, for a toy-based product. It presents the toys as the lesser version you can hold of the characters oh it's like oh yes your tahu can move his arm and swing his sword back and forth but watch the screen as he backflips and stabs them into the wall and slides down the magma cave there's something very much the way a kid imagines actually on screen in a unique way with the the physicality and the realness they give these characters you were not as big into transformers as you were into Lego and uh, and Bionicle. I wonder how your experience of this compares to Transformers fans who were played with Transformers and then saw the Transformers movie. And is it the same kind of the the toys become a representation of what's in the movie versus the movie being a depiction of the characters who are embodied by the toys? That's a good question. I... Another weird part is, honestly, I loved the bad guys. <laughs> I loved all the bad guy figures so much more. The second season, bad guys are the best figurines they ever made. Bo Rock all the way. But, like, there's something about when I played with these, I felt like I was getting... I, I Opening up one of the packages felt like I was getting the story. That's what I was cracking open. That's like opening a new 
issue of a comic book exactly. or, or a new book in a series. But the cool. thing I'm the the story I'm learning is how to put this guy together. And then I saw what he would do somewhere else. Ah. So they were kind of these avatars of this story I was obtaining. And that 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 unlocked the narrative for me because I I built this figurine that represented this guy who went on this quest. Which also kind of ties back to some of the the mythical stuff we saw in Ray Harryhausen things where there's like a figurine of a character and then it cuts to this person out in the adventure that the figurine represented in the little narrative they've got. The, the little bionicle figurines were very much that. It's like, oh, look, I have the ice one. Now I know what happened in the ice place because he's here. And they kind of follow that in this movie. This movie is the, the grand season three culmination thing because there's a seventh. There's always been six of them. But now there's going to be a seventh. And we kind of get this big announcement of that. Six of what? Six of the Toa. Okay. There's these island, this island of Matanui, full of these small tribes of the Matoran, these mechanical living creatures, these tribes people, who live in their six little tribes based on the biome of the island that they live on. So there's the rock people and the, and the barren plains people, the ice people, the fire people, the water and the jungle people. And then the story originally was these giant canisters wash up on shore <laughs> and out crawl and reassemble themselves these legendary heroes, the Toa. The the packaging of the toys, it factored into the story? Yes. The <laughs> image of a giant stone version of one of the toy packages washing up on shore and opening up and them crawling out like arm assembling and them crawling out skeletonized from their long hibernation is part of the imagery wow it's weirdly horror film like but then they go on grand quests to find all the masks which you can buy collectible packages of and randomly get different masks for your toa there was this collect the masks defeat the origin this original form of the evil makuta who put Matanui, the grand spirit of the island, asleep. And then they defeated it. And they defeated the Borok, which were these other creatures that rose up from the ground and started to attack the world. Turns out they were another, like, defense system that had been suppressed. They were here to clean everything up so it could start fresh. <laughs> like a rolling mechanical biological wildfire designed to clean this forest of a world. But they obtained new powers, and then Makuta showed up, more powerful than ever after they'd obtained these fresh powers, and they're not strong enough to stop him. So now you've got the newest versions in these, and we hear that there will be a seventh Toa, a seventh of these grand heroes we've followed for two years of power-ups and adventure. And this seems like a fairly straightforward quest story. You've got a MacGuffin that leads people to know that there's the possibility of the seventh Toa. So they go searching for the seventh Toa, but the bad guy gets wind of this. So he decides to attack, which means they have to find the seventh Toa to help them defeat him. It's kind of a self-fulfilling conflict. Yeah. And I admit there's also something interesting. There's kind of a reverse of a, of a story people might recognize. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Two friends who are both small people within their uh, land compared to other people in the area in a volcano 
holding a glowing golden object. <laughs> they are going to go on a quest and it will end in a tropical and semi lush verdant area full of rounded buildings where this object will show that it has immense power. It is reverse Lord of the Rings. Were they, they put... sent on this quest by a wizard who's really into smoking weed? <laughs> Pi- excuse me, pipe weed. Pipe weed. Absolutely. It, it's reverse Lord of the Rings completely <laughs> in a brilliant way. But it's kind of fun because we get to have this adventure across these six lands we've seen. And we've got this getting to see the Toa, these grand heroes, in animated glory with all these powers we've heard them building up, fighting off new enemies who are very cool to build as this adventure goes on. But it's interesting to see because you've got this story that is so basic and it is so easy to follow. This is really like kids' first adventure movie in that sense. Yeah, it seems like it's well-balanced and well-focused on their target market of that, that age and that, that level of story interest. But even being so, everything is presented like it is full Shakespearean drama, especially if any Toa are on screen. The moment one of these grand hero figurines shows up, they have a quirky style of talking, their own special scene of showing they're, they're powerful and strong and they can do all these things. And they're always so dramatic, every single one of them. It's like... Well, I could save you, but I'm the cool one who's fire-based, <laughs> which means I'm going to have a surfing scene before I finish saving you. <laughs> I almost got a little bit of a Ninja Turtles vibe from this collection of, of Toa. Yes. Each with their dis- such, such distinct yet broad personalities and, and focused areas of interest. Yeah. And, and, and it's not always like... I can never quite tell if the characterizations of these characters are extremely generic and extremely tropey or intriguing subversions. Yeah, I think they are they are just right. They, They're just they right. They have enough little twists, but they're all recognizable. I didn't have to know the backstory of the fire guy to know that he's the devil may care hero cool dude. Absolutely. And, 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 and of course, the ice guy is the brooding one who's not quite a team player, but is there for his friends when they need him. And the air was very lofty in thought and very, I don't oh. know, new agey. Oh my goodness. For lack I, of a better term. Colorado in here. The, the air guy is what I immediately assume Boulder to be like if I don't think hard enough. <laughs> like, ah, oh, mountains go. Yes, you know. Ah. <laughs> if... Toaliwa helped on your search. Might he be a spirit lift? You? With us? We'd be honored to have you walk with us. Walk? Ha! Not never. If you ride with me, there'll be no foot walking, just air flying. Okay. Um, and then I'm also intrigued. It's like the, the, the deep in the earth guy is gruff, but he's kind of a a well-meaning politician almost he's like public speaker extraordinaire yeah. it's like come my people hi yeah he's he's a a leader who's really not interested in being a leader until he's needed exactly. which is not a bad kind of leader to not have. a bad kind of leader we've got a, we've got of course the only girl is the water one yes and she is extremely extremely serious 
and kind of the like all of you stop goofing off we've got things to do kind of person yep and i think if i remember the planes guy and it is interesting they've got an earth and a rock guy as two separate things yeah i wasn't quite sure about some of those distinctions it makes sense when you look at that they're not elemental in a like avatar the last airbender way they're elemental in a biome way true there is a water and an ice and those are going to function very differently in terms of 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 yeah like it's like swamp versus tundra right it's like you know going to the great plains versus going to the to you know the great caverns of a place those are going to be very different environments and they each had a sector a little like boom that they they covered and watched for Mm -hmm. but you know, the last guy, he's kind of the the lovable Mikey, to use a uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> he's the Mikey of the group that kind of makes sure everyone gets along. Which which absolutely works. They put them all together and they built this little story. And then this is this... They're fighting off these enemies who are these creepy lizard creatures. The, the rock sheet oh they were neat i like they were re- they were neat their nice toys their, their toys are very fun too they've got they kind of had in the in the movie they've got kind of got an alien like mouth tentacle slug thingy going on yeah in the toy you could actually pop open the back and pull out the little rubbery slug Ugh. that pilots them <laughs> because almost dalek like yes the entire rest of it's just this mechanical shell and the fun thing is, the way they fly around by folding their arms and legs in is the way they fit back in their own packaging. <laughs> if you want to put one away, you literally fold them up into flight mode and they can store away <laughs> in their box. Because all the packaging always ties back in. Like, it's a toy set where littering the box that it came in across the floor is the artwork of where they are in the story. The center chamber that everyone had these meetings around is shaped like the tops of some of the canisters. Oh. And, you know, some of that artwork is just based on that. And it's kind of brilliant that they did that. But I, I admit, I'm, I'm talking about the product so much more because the story doesn't have too much to it. Right. And the story, it eventually leads to the reveal of the seventh Toa, the, the, the Toa of Light, and he has the final battle against the big bad. And so much of that in like the beginning of the last act, it looked or felt like a product release. Oh, absolutely. Like, Here is the new Hi. figure that you can go out and purchase of the Toa of Light with the gold mask. I'm the Toa of Light. Quick, everybody, help build the included motorbike, <laughs> because that will get me to the next place. I will use it for one scene and crash it into a wall. <laughs> but they did it. Yes. The fascinating part is that at the end of this story, they go, they go and he def- he fights Makuta, the big bad, in his other giant product toy reveal form here. The way he defeats him in the end is by literally falling into a pit with the bad guy and being rebuilt with the bad guy. It's a Lego story where mixing your two sets is the narrative climax. And was it possible, actually, to to build these two sets together like that? There was instructions if you bought the two. Like, one of them came (laughs) with one half, one of them came with the other half. If you bought both sets... 
you had the full instructions to merge them into <laughs> this grand creature that they become that saves everyone at the end. And that really does bridge that gap between the stories and the products, where if the stories are building sets, so much of the story is about, or or at least what factors into the story, is constructing things, is things breaking apart and being pulled back together. That is done for, it's done in a very self-aware way in, say, the Lego movie and its, its uh, successors. Here, it is just, it is taken more seriously because it's played straight as part of the environment in which these people live. Exactly. The, the, the stuff we are all made out of can do this thing. And that's just part of how they live. And that fits into all these layers of the story from the beginnings where they are coming out of their own packaging to start their story to the ending where it turns out, yes, we're all, part, we're all pieces in a giant thing. <laughs> It all kind of fits with that building toy aesthetic, even when it's intentionally not pointing that out. I will also point out a fun thing, which you caught a little bit of the end. There is a writing system that they kept consistent throughout this product. This symbol cipher where they had this these, in, in the box. There's a booklet that has all the letters swapped out. And you can read all the signage and all these little <laughs> notes. There's graffiti scrawled in it in, on the walls. And at the end of the credits, we noticed that there was a, uh, uh, oh, what was it? Uh, no, no. Uh, I forget what they were called. The, the animals of the world had a specific special name. And they had a none of those were harmed in the making of this movie <laughs> yes. in the language of the Matorian written out in the credits. And that cipher is just right. Really, they're just extremely stylized Latin characters in a, like an extremely stylized typeface. Enough that you wouldn't, at a glance, know that these are letters. But once you know that they're letters, it's not hard to figure out what's what, even without a key. And that seems perfect if they're targeting like 12-year-olds who are into building stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure it's just a pig, pens, a pig pen cipher in circles. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's it's a it's an it's like, hi, your building toy also had an introduction to crypto <laughs> cryptology course. And I loved that because I was one of these kids going through and translating everything I could find on my boxes. <laughs> and I think I paused this movie multiple times trying to read stuff. It's it was excellent. But they they did a lot of stuff to make this world feel grand for being something that is early squishy CGI movie. And built on a property that doesn't seem at first like it would, but once you get a little in, it has this grand story to it in the middle of what was a hard time. This movie was made in 2003. This was in the middle of some of the tightest times coming up for Lego. And they put the money into making this film. So was this a gamble for Lego to put that money into this without being sure it would pay off? Yes. Ah. This was a big gamble. This was leaning into Bionicle is one of the things that is selling, and we're going to make this happen. So they didn't necessarily envision a movie when they started making Bionicle. They knew they had a storytelling mechanism here, but they didn't know how far they were going to be able to push it, I'm guessing. They would tried to make a few things before, but Christian Faber, who worked on it, had battles with cancer 
Oh. And so part of this grand bionicle story became this inspiration and this vent for him about dealing with the medicines he was on to fight cancer. These robots going inside this grand thing to fight off this evil entity inside that could put it to sleep for this long time. Oh, wow. And so there's this like mythology meets medical technology thing. And he created so much story that that you know, Lego had all this extra narrative that they could turn into this long-running thing. They could hand to these professional writers to help polish into this script art that could fill up all these games and narratives. There's this. That's where it kind of came from oh, in that sense. Well, that's cool to hear. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, you know, in in the face of we need something like the Star Wars that we can do ourselves, but they turned to this person and he had this outpouring of his own creative design helped by other co-workers at the Lego group that they were able to build this thing out of. And then it helped keep the company afloat during a rough patch. There's a lot going on in that. And it means that these simple little stories all tying together has a cooler, grander narrative piece. And I can appreciate the fact that when they decided they wanted some kind of saga like that, yeah, they didn't go with space opera. They didn't go with pseudo medieval fantasy. They didn't go with any of the things that are done so often. They really did. Even if you say that they looked to other cultures to get, you know, inspiration for this mythology they built, they looked beyond the usual and obvious. And I could admire that. Yeah. And this movie is interesting because it's this, it's this piece of the story I, I I hope that it was approachable enough for you, though, because it is an interesting thing. I can imagine people would run into this grander story on just this alone. I could see some people being having their interest peaked if they just saw this this movie. Yeah. Do the later movies and things kind of live up to this? The later movies get a lot more intense, a lot better animated, and a lot darker. Ah. I've seen all three, and like by the third movie, you have like grand twist reveals as to who is working for who and much better animated scenes, but it's also getting, it gets way darker. Really? One thing about Lego is that it starts creepy and mysterious. It becomes triumphant and then it gets darker and more ominous before it gets gr powerful and grand and triumphant uh, again. And when I'm, and I mean darker, I mean like they've like in the advanced futuristic city that is, at, I'm just going to spoil some later Bionicle story for you. Sure. In the advanced future story, which was actually our past we had to flee from, the corrupt government sent all of the murder police bots to kill our six main heroes, the first batch of them, not the ones you thought were the first batch of them. Because the bad guy took over the body of the mayor in a full-on kill-him-body-snatchers style. Oh. Yes. I was gonna say, you know, this Bionicle, the Mask of Light, gets pretty dark at times, especially for something made for <laughs> kids. Um, I'm not gonna bother no. pushing that line anymore now that I've heard what happens later. Do you want to hear the story about the mutinogens that cause everyone to tr to slowly lose their ability to function and think and become mindless killing machines while they're on an undersea mission? Um, yeah, too late to say no now. Yeah. <laughs> what if the thing for kids 
came with a 1,000-part count design kit. <laughs> That's Bionicle. Do you think... Then, so that was in a later season of the toys? That was later seasons of the toys. Did... Were they still focused on the same age group, or did there come a point when they realized their audience was, in fact, older than they expected them to be? Assuming that was the case. They kind of... I don't know what happened. They aimed really younger than they expect. That I think they they hooked with the original Bionicle. They kind of went... They, they aimed young because it's a kid's toy, and then hooked a little bit older because of the grand story. And then they modulated up, but at the same time, pop culture made a lot more of the punk aughts kind of grunge aesthetic-y things, the, the new metal-y things happening that high schoolers like made what made the what the high schoolers are into what the middle school kids wanted. And so Bionicle got edgier as that did so. And this went on for, what, ten, five years? Uh, oh, nine years. Nine, oh, gosh. 2001 to 2010. So that's so, an entire decade. So somebody who starts playing with Bionicle when they're 11, they yeah. are 20 yes. by the time. So it's, it's also the fact that they're not losing, that, that, that they don't necessarily want their audience to age out of the product. And, or maybe they simply weren't giving up the product as they got older. So in that sense, it makes sense to have the product and the story keep pace with their audience. And the stories that are going to engage a 17 or 18-year-old, very different from the stories that are going to engage an 11-year-old. Absolutely. And in the same way that you mentioned Transformers, I would definitely put Bionicle and Transformers as similar things, where there is the lower level... Oh, hi, there's robots amongst us. They're here to help kind of kids story aspect. <laughs> and then there's the we are from a world a world torn asunder by war. And I've seen many a comrade die before me. But you will not be one of those kind of <laughs> grandeur going yeah. on by the end. It's like, you like, <laughs> How spicy do you want your lore? We've got a <laughs> wide range we can give you. And so definitely there was different layers across there. I, I get it. That makes sense. You want light roast or dark roast? We've <laughs> oh, got it all. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. How, do, how do you want to consume your Bionicle? On that note, do not eat Bionicle pieces. <laughs> there were many a squishy thing made for that. One thing I'm amazed at is Lego Group did not get in more trouble for making things that look <laughs> remarkably too much like gummy candy in their plastic toys. Oh, they had gummy type pieces? Oh, yeah. What were those? The, the multiple of them. Second generation had little mask gummy things with a launcher. Oh. The little slug things inside the creatures from this movie oh, are made of gummy rubber. Makes sense. Later things had like launchers that would fire sticky darts. And they like, honestly, they're like the size of a fruit gusher and it's terrifying. Ooh, that's horrible. Yeah. I'm like, mm. <laughs> danger, danger, Will Robinson. We've kind of talked about Bionicle as a whole, but we got enough of Mask of Light in there to give you a good idea. It's, it's an adventure story of uh, two guys and their crab. Don't forget their crab. Adventuring through the different biomes, meeting the characters eventually awakening the seventh Toa and building the instructions provided in the box with a grand, fun narrative combination that's connected to way more than it looks like it is. 
What did you think of your little taste of the Bionicle story? It was interesting. It was interesting in terms of the the animation and the production. And I followed the story enough. I mean, you know, once I kind of figured out who was who and what was going on, it was a straightforward story. Not a lot of surprises, except maybe in the very last act. But I enjoyed it. Yeah. I have to admit, my enjoyment, I'm sure, was colored by the fact that I knew you were such a Bionicle fan. I enjoyed it, too. The movie is, at this point, kind of silly to sit through. (laughs) It's a kid's film. There's that, I'm here for the nostalgia and what it reminds me of, not itself. But it's not bad. For a direct-to-DVD movie made in 2003, you can do a lot worse (laughs) than Bionicle The Mask of Light. I do, I, I wish there was an easier way, something as easy as popping in this DVD to be able to absorb all the other bits of story I remember from when I'm a kid, I was a kid. I think that we're starting to get that, what with YouTube documentaries of multiple hours, piecing the story back together and <laughs> compiling everything from everywhere. Archival footage and recreation attempts rebuilding the flash games that told massive chunks things like that that hurts to know that there is something we've got this complex multimedia story and there are pieces of it that are simply gone and that is so disappointing that's one of the issues with interactive narrative in in video games in general is that it's so easy for them to fall out of accessibility yeah talk about another patreon special we've had i have an entire discussion about how the loss of internet media is starting to affect what I could bring for these Millennial Strikes Back. It's starting to affect things. You have this preservation, but I'm worried that there's chunks of my childhood that I wouldn't be able to do a podcast like this with at the way things have gone. So, you know, if you like something, see how you can get a copy, see how you can preserve or write down or share what you remember of it, because... Hey, every bit helps. Back in the early days of the internet, even before uh, you know the Mosaic browser and the World Wide Web were popular or accessible, and most of what was on, on the internet was text, there was this kind of utopian feeling that once something is digital and on the internet, it's around forever. Nobody can ever possibly erase all of it. So it's going to preserve so much knowledge that in previous generations had come and gone and so much of it was lost. And decades later, we're realizing that's not the case, at least not with some of this kind of, maybe it's still true with most text, but with things things having gotten so big that it's hard to find things, and so much of this information being bound up in specific software platforms like Flash, it's uh, things do fall, fall out of reach so much more easily than if they were in books or films. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, there's pieces of, of, of information that will, will disappear and will wash up later on the shore in their containers. <laughs> so then the question leads to, uh, well, uh, screen or no screen for this movie? Yeah, I was going to say, how are we going to approach this? If we're just looking at the movie as a movie, screen or no screen, that is really tough. If someone is just, if they just want to sit down and watch a movie, 
this is not a movie I would highly recommend just yeah. because it relies upon so much other knowledge. If you're interested in in it for its at for the time innovative animation or some things like that, yeah, absolutely watch it. I I'm gonna have to say no screen taking the movie on its own separate from what is it what it is a part of. In many ways, I've brought to the podcast our first physical toy. So I'm gonna present to you the question <laughs> then. Uh-huh. Play or no play? Oh, play. Play. These are awesome. These are awesome. These are fun. I pull, <laughs> uh, When we watched this, I pulled up canisters of all the characters I had that I could that were in this movie <laughs> and got to show it's like the little toys and the functions and everything. They're fun. And I know I've seen this movie with you before long time ago, but at the time we weren't just sitting down and watching the movie. You were handing me toys and we were playing with these, these uh, figures while we watched the movie absolutely it's like oh it's lua here hold lua so yeah i'd say like, yeah absolutely and and here i am 30 year old <laughs> re-watching this thing and i'm like i still have those in the basement <laughs> it's just fun it doesn't matter how old you are these things are fun they're cool designs and interesting stuff so i'm with you yeah so i'm not going to recommend screening the movie as a movie but to play with the toys and and investigate the whole bionicle world absolutely that's fun Mm -hmm. A reboot attempted was attempted, I will say, before we get into our next thing, in, two, in 2015, a, five years after the end. A reboot? So not picking up anything from where, where they left off? No, they, they tried to redo it, but in some ways they made it more generic. They made it much more like, hi, the mystical land has its six protectors, and they lost all that creepy biomechanical mystery element and made them a little bit more generic heroes. Ah. It sounds as if Lego was past risk-taking at that point. They had come to, they, they had risen to such a, a greater height with all of their other media tie-ins and things like that, that they didn't want to do something that was too scary or off-putting for their, I don't know, nine to 14 year old uh, age target yeah so it that that only lasted a year it didn't get great reception but the question then becomes revive reboot or rest in peace for this this taste and what you now know from their discussion and such of the grander bionicle narrative ah that's a tough one. I mean, I don't know that I would say revive just because I don't know enough about how it how it ended, whether or not it makes any sense to try to keep that story going. I would defer to you on that. It's and it's fine as it is to say rest in peace, but there's something about this and especially as I've learned more from you even as we've recorded tonight. It would be interesting to see certain filmmakers take this on. No, I'm not going to say Wes Anderson. <laughs> oh, goodness. But I'm going to say, like, um, Guillermo del Toro. I was about to say Guillermo del Toro's Bionicle. Guillermo del Toro with a take on Bionicle. It's not going to be the same as Pacific Rim. No. But it's going to get into that oh, biomechanical he, creepiness that he would, he's good at. He would lean into that, like... Like the grand heroes crawl out from the beach in in a desiccated state from their long slumber. Like they don't they don't arise triumphant. 
they are they are weak and they must grow yes and he he would take this like there are there are secrets buried amongst the island and grand masks and an evil that literally sleeps inside the earth keeping it a slumber like he would he would lean into that so hard oh the, goodness yeah there was a time i might have said ridley scott but i think that time may have passed yeah those are just people who come to mind I think there's enough here that an interesting filmmaker who is going to not go the opposite direction from that 2015 reboot, lean into how weird this is and how removed it is from other kinds of storytelling. I think my final answer is a rest in peace because I don't think anyone will get a chance to. And I don't I Lego group. They're doing plenty of other things now, but it's a rest in peace saying like someone go here. Someone take a look at the parts this gives you. <laughs> Someone build their own model with this. <laughs> like, there is, hey, storytellers out there, there's a fascinating mine of potential. You can go uh, lose, lose a weekend reading all of the Bionicle wiki you can. <laughs> Come out of your stupor on Monday when you went in on Friday and see what you have in your mind for narrative now, because I think you're going to find interesting stuff. I think so. Oh, yeah. Even if we're going to say rest in peace, I hope that it has some influence. I really hope so, too. I I loved it. There's a plenty of nostalgia in this, but there's definitely some weird <laughs> interestingness once I dig past that nostalgia. Well, this was fun. Eh, thank now, you. As you say, it introduced a new kind of media or multimedia. Mm-hmm. And it's always fun to hear about things that meant a lot to you when you were a kid. I thank you. And <laughs> hey, the fact that, you know, yeah, stop motion, stop motion toy figures with giant monsters and a story about going inside giant <laughs> beings. I had a perfect shot. That was great. Oh, yeah. Uh, so in the meantime, until our next episode, where can they find you online, Dad? Uh, you can go to buymatthewporter.com and you'll find links to anything I'm doing online. Uh, you can also find me, I think a link to my Mastodon there. And you'll find a link to my YouTube page where I review movies and movie theaters in the Draft House Diary. And Ian, where can people find you? I can be found at itemcrafting.com and itemcraftinglive on Twitch. I can also be found at itemcrafting.omg.lol soon. Page is currently being rebuilt. But yes, I'm item crafting on most places of the internet. And for the podcast itself, you can just go to immproject.com. And that's where, if you want more of the uh, Intermillennium Media Project, you can find all of our back episodes. If you want to support the IMMP, you can support us on Patreon, where you'll get additional audio content, or you can shop for cool things in our shop. If you want to contact us, there's a contact page at immproject.com. You can reach us online there, or you can send us honest-to-goodness physical mail through the U.S. Postal Service at P.O. Box 271167, Littleton, Colorado, 80127. And if you do send us either a message through the contact page or something in the mail, just let us know if it's okay to read it in the podcast. Well, thank you for letting me take over, Dad. I know that... In two weeks, you'll be back with some fun thing from your childhood as well. Some, some more misuse of parental authority, as you've sometimes <laughs> called it. Uh, we will indeed be back in a couple of weeks. Uh -huh. And in the meantime, go find something old to watch.